Oh dear. Yeah, like Joe's calling me waking up in the morning. So. <laughs> Can I have uh, the, the music team? Just, just. Instead of praying, no, instead of praying, let's just. Where shall we are there? Is that the key of E? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's all just, let's all just instead of me praying, we surrender ourselves to God in worship. Eh? Let's just sing this song. I love this song. It's probably my favorite song of many worship songs. This is probably one of mine. Here in your cause, 
something about being in the presence of God the presence of God has a habit to expose who we really are <laughs> I remember reading Isaiah He saw the presence of God. His first reaction was, I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> in the presence of God, living in the midst of people with unclean lips. But here's the thing, doesn't matter who you are, an encounter in the presence of God resulting into commission for Isaiah. It's crazy, hey? Even though he said, I'm a man, I'm clean lips, but that encounter actually was the beginning of his commission. Never take the presence of God for granted. <laughs> Joshua, before going to Jericho, he was standing alone and he saw the captain of the host. Obviously, an angel of the Lord or maybe the Lord, the Lord himself. As he approached the man, who are you? And the man said, take your shoes off because the ground you're standing is holy. <laughs> Implying this is God's presence. After that encounter, it was the great victory. Yeah. Moses was running away, scared to death, fear for his life. Had an encounter in Mount Sinai, the same thing Jesus, uh, God said at the burning bush, take Take your shoes off because the ground you're standing is, is holy. It was in that presence was the, the commission, you know, to set the Israelites free. And I think often people just, just okay, church, tick boxes, and let's just go for it and just move to the next. No, no, no. It's something about the presence of God. And if you look at the narratives in the Bible, most cases, all the people that have that encounter will fall on their knees. It's crazy. 
something about man confronting a holy God. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 all the way to verse 11. So if there is any Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be pursued or a thing to strive for, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Powerful scripture. It's probably one of the most powerful scripture in the Bible. I like saying things like that because every scripture in the Bible is powerful. <laughs> but when you read it, it feels like this is the most powerful thing. <laughs> We've been talking about being effective life-giving ministers. We've gone through the series, I think for, this is the, the fifth week, I think, I believe. And we start with, with uh, just this, the, the, the whole idea of sometimes we, we, we become ineffective because there's no engagement between us and the people's situation because we're so caught up with our system and our theology and our belief system. Like I gave the example in John chapter 9. A man born blind, the first question by the disciples was, well, did he sin or did his parents sin? Like, Jesus said, no. The point is, we need to do the work of God so the, so the work of God will be revealed in him. So Jesus brought them into the focus of, listen, the whole idea of us here is not about us, it's about them. So, and, uh, so sometimes we get caught up in system and, and uh, ideology and all those things, but, and we lose sight of people where people are at. And uh, also, last week I, I, I touched on, uh, on unity. And... Uh, because as individuals, you know, there's effective as individuals, but effective as a church. How can we be effective as a church? One of the key, or the key, Jesus said, that when two or three gather together, you can do 
ask anything, anything can be, can be accomplished. And my presentation, you know, with my simple PowerPoint presentation, there are three points that will bring unity. It's, sometimes it's not agreement, it's not even the same belief system. Number one is purpose or vision. Number two, leadership. Number three is the, is the spirit of submission within that. Because when two people get together, I mean, I'll give you an example. When two people get together, all of a sudden, the idiosyncrasies of each individual start to play, you know? And in that, it's like, you know, who's gonna listen to whom? Now, that's only two people. Imagine, the more people, the more issue that you're gonna have because more idiosyncrasies and, like the way I express it, not just, you know, idiosyncrasies, but human will and self-will, you know, all those things happen. So, uh, yeah. Like I said, if you don't believe it, try, get, try and get married. And you see, <laughs> I mean it. Every time I, I do, a, I do a wedding ceremony, I always tell the young couple, I said, I, I can promise this, your marriage will not be perfect. <laughs> but you are perfectly made for each other. And you've got a lifetime to figure it out. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> so the whole thing of spirit of unity and uh, the, uh, the Greek word agreement is symphonia or making sound together and I demonstrated it. That was great. Did you like that? If, you're not here, you, if you weren't here, I got them to sing, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> Rather than sing a cappella in harmony, I said they're all different parts, but they're different, but they all sounded amazing. And what was the key to it? Number one, there were about five of them there, they all sang the same song. <laughs> and we tried to sing different songs all at once, it sounded really pretty bad. Not only that they sang the same song, but also they sang the same song in the same key. Because I demonstrated, let's sing the same, the same song in two different keys, or whatever, in whatever key you want to you sing. Doesn't sound like uh, Melbourne Life, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's a picture of often people, you know, Christians, the point I'm trying to make, that sometimes Christians will say, it's all about loving Jesus, but I'm all for Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. It sounds like... Yeah, we all, but Jesus, it's exactly, Christians like that sound like a group singing the same song about Jesus in, in five different keys. So, I'm going to take further this idea of submission, the point that make up that unity. Submission flows out of humility. You can write that down. So the title of this, this sermon is Humility. The spirit of humility. Above all the things that we can do, the signs and wonders, the prophetic insight, 
but I can prophesy accurately, can call you by name, even if I never know you, you know, like, whatever. All that's fantastic, but there's one that will accurately represent who Jesus really is, is the spirit of humility. I might not have the gift. I might not have all this other stuff. But if I walk in the humility of Jesus, people will see what's so different. What's so different? What's something different about you. It's true. As a matter of fact, Paul said, uh, not Paul, Peter, in... in uh, First Peter chapter 3, he said, he's talking about being spiritual people, and he said to, to the people, he said, servants, be loyal and submissive to your masters, not only to those who are reasonable, but to those who are harsh. Wow. <laughs> to those who are harsh. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, it is a mark of a disciple So the passage that we just read before, verse 1 and verse 2, obviously Paul, Paul is uh, appealing for unity in the church. In verse 3 uh, to verse 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, and, but, but in humility. So, and he said, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So what Paul is saying is that humility is the antidote for selfish ambition and self-interest. Humility is the antidote of selfish ambition and self-interest. And then he starts to describe what humility looks like beginning from verse 6. When he starts to talk about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, okay? Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to strive for, something to pursue because he's God, right? So here's the point. Humility that is displayed by Jesus, it begins with knowing who you really are in God. That's what humility is. It has to begin with that. Knowing who you really are in God. Knowing who you really are. Chris, you're a doctor, right? If you decided one day, for, just for the heck of it, I'm going to drive taxi, <laughs> for example, or Uber, it doesn't make you any less a doctor, does it? Because you're a doctor. <laughs> it just happened to, oh, just for fun, I want to do Uber driving or whatever. That's what you are. It doesn't reduce who you are. I mean, this, this is the problem with people in the world. They do things to just 
prove that they are something, they are good, they're somebody. You know, we talk about spiritual people. Our very, our very establishment, our identity established by the, by the three, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, in First Peter, God, you know, he, he, he elect the son, uh, the, the son obedient on the cross and the spirit sanctified. So in other words, the Trinity established our, our identity. So doesn't matter who we are, I don't care what people say about who I am. I'm chosen by God and I'm a new species. That's what the Bible says, I'm a new creation. This is, you know, the, the problem with, with this political correctness that mankind try to, to strive to, to do, you know, like everybody, you know, we fight for equality, equal rights, gender, uh, ideology, religion, race, and you know, anti-racism and all those things. You know, I, I pointed up to you before, we become more divided. You know why? Because people are not too scared to say anything now. Because what, I would express something that is funny and, 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 and sort of, Jovial in, in, in my culture, and, but all of a sudden I can't say it because I don't know, it might be offensive to you guys. You know, like, people are just too scared to say anything. But here's the thing, when you are a new creation, new species, you can say anything about me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a new creation. It really doesn't matter. People can say anything about, about who I am. That's fine, because they don't make me, make me who I am. God does. So humility begins with knowing who you really are. When you know who you really are, you don't have to fight for your rights. Like Jesus, he saw that equality is something that he doesn't need something not to be grasped or pursued or strive for. So humility is, number one, knowing who you are in God. And in humility, there'll be absence of strife and striving to be something. Jesus didn't have to prove himself. But verse 7, he said, instead of trying to prove himself, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Right. Two points here. Knowing who you are is the beginning of the process of humility. Once you got that, you're able to let go of a lot of things. <laughs> He emptied himself. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we try to walk this, this, this spiritual walk that called by Jesus, but we, we are not willing to let go of some things. Oh, man. I remember talking to a young married couple in a conversation, and uh, 
this couple said, okay, you've been married for over 30 years, nearly 40 years, so what's the key? What's the key to, to your marriage success in marriage? Like I said, there's no, there's no, uh, I said to them, listen, you're going to have issues in marriage. He said, yeah, I know that, but, but, but what is the key? I said, here's, here's one thing. Among, among other things, you have to think, how important is being right to you? <laughs> how important is being right to you? The extent of that importance to you equals the extent of issues you're going to have in your marriage. You can be so right and so wrong. It's crazy. So having to let go, and the next thing is, I'm just following the scripture here, is servanthood. And sometimes, you know, we, 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 part of, of our, our being, being in the church is to get people to serve because they're the spirit of Jesus. But I think in uh, churches, the bigger it is, you know, we have to create a system so people serve, you know, organize everything. But I think before servanthood, there has to be humility because it's like when when somebody, somebody's life is totally transformed, who, who knows who they really are, servanthood is not a big deal. Servanthood is not an issue. It's the fruit of the, all of a sudden. And unfortunately, we probably have, in, 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 to a certain extent, this idea of humility that we work on, on people, try to disciple them and servanthood, and because things have to be done in the church, the balance of these two need to be maintained all the time. And... Uh, and sometimes, in a, in a, probably the temptation in the bigger church, bigger institution, is that you get people to serve, 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 but actually not really, at some point, are in danger of, of paying attention to their personal transformation that will make them a person who is humble, take the humility of Jesus. So, uh, and yet at the same time, if I, as a pastor, focus on all about your transformation, because the Bible describes Romans 12 and First uh, Peter chapter 4, that the purpose of first personal transformation is effective work of service, right? Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, personal transformation. Chapter 3 to 8 is work of service. So. The, the purpose of this transformation is for the work of service. Now, I have to keep the balance in this. In, in this. If, I, if I just focus on really just getting you to serve, to do things in the church, guess what I'm doing? I'm just building an institution, an organization. I'm not building you. Whereas this is about building you so that you can do that. Now, however, if all I focus is just your personal transformation, I'm going back to self-interest and, you know, like, no, it's about that. <laughs> it's a preparation for that. So, yeah.
And verse 8, and being found in human, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The manifestation of humility is obedience and submission. You can talk about the concept of humility all you can. I measure your humility by the level of your sub submission and your obedience. Really. You can talk about it, but I just watch it. What's the difference between obedience and submission? Actually, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, he said, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. <laughs> I think submission is the willingness. Obedience is the action. So submission is the spirit, is the heart. Because people can obey because of external law, external pressure. I'll obey. Sit down. Yeah, I'll sit down, but in the inside, I'm standing up. Like, you know. <laughs> that's not obedient. But what, what, what the Bible requires is submission. So that's why, you know, last week I, I, I pointed out in unity, agreement is not the key for, for unity. Submission is. Because as long as I agree with you, as a leader, say, and I want to do something, we're going this way as a church, and as long as we are in agreement, submission is not an issue. But the moment I do something as a leader that, because I believe this is where God wants us to go and you disagree with me, now that becomes a, an issue, right? Well, okay. That's when you have to, like the point I, I, I made before, let go, empty yourself. <laughs> What Jesus did. Just let go for the common good. Yeah. Because as long as we are in agreement, that not, there's no issue. It's when we are in disagreement. Obviously, there's the spirit of the test for the spirit of humility is submission to authority. That goes without saying. Like I said <laughs> a few weeks ago, the Western world in a democratic system, we, we, we rejoice in our dem democracy. And I pointed out, it's kind of difficult, you know, something for, for you guys to think about. It might be a, an issue for all of us, the democratic mindset, and try to understand kingdom principle because we fight for our rights. <laughs> and uh, we, we pride, you know, America and Australia, you know, we pride ourselves with the Constitution. But like I pointed, before, pointed out before that the problem with the law and the Constitution it is still subject to humans' interpretation and manipulation. You know? But when, but when you are transformed 
I have the spirit of humility, this is what you, what you will think. Something may be legal, but not necessarily ethical. Because we are operating in the kingdom ethics, not just the law. Does that make sense to you guys? Now remember, somebody talked to me about the tax and all those things, and, and you know, just on, on the, and uh, so, well, it's, it's just creative accounting, you know. And as the guy was saying that, uh, uh, it's just, it, it really was the Holy Spirit. I thought, that might be legal, but it doesn't, doesn't feel ethical. You know? And I think we, as God's people, need to operate on that side, kingdom ethics. The other thing about the test of humility, it's not just submit to the authority, but submit to the delegated authority. This is probably a bigger issue, delegated authority. Now, because you respect me, and I, I, I'm a very good man, <laughs> so if I tell you something, you might not have a problem to, uh, to obey me, to submit to me. But if I send Joshua to tell you something, you might second guess the validity of his authority. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? Because he's not me. Mind you, he's big, so you might think twice about that. <laughs> and uh, you know, people people don't realize this is probably the biggest test on on the spirit of humility for many people. Is delegated authority. Imagine if you are actually your cell leader or your music, your music leader who actually half only as gifted as you are. <laughs> really? Imagine. Well, what, what does he know? That's a good test. Sometimes God allows those things to happen to really test what's going on in your heart. And sometimes, let me say this, God allows even mistakes made by leaders to see, to reveal what's in the heart of man. A good story is David, <laughs> King David. Saul was a bad king, but his submission to Saul was unquestioned. When he had an opportunity, now he was running for his life from Saul, and there was an opportunity in the cave when Saul fell asleep, and his, his, one of his guys said, using the spiritual language, you know, God has delivered Saul into your hand. You know, people often use that kind of spiritual language. David said, I will never touch God's anointing. Wow. Some things appear like, well, this must be God. See, you could be right, but operate in the wrong spirit. The whole time, David was right, and yet he was running for his life. And he said, 
no, I will not touch God's anointing. What happened? He was willing to let go. He was in the right. Who cares? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cross that line. Can I have the measles, please? Let's all stand up. I know this is kind of, it's been like, like this, or this is like the, the crunch of being effective. Let's all stand up. Who was it? I think it was Calvin who, I think in one of his sermons, he said about, you know, people playing in NBA, and uh, I think the point, I love that point he made, he said, those people who go to NBA to play NBA, their talent alone didn't, didn't take them there. <laughs> there are many talented basketballers, but talent alone didn't take them there. It was the discipline. You know, part of the discipline in a basketball game is this. The coach will say to you, you're amazing, you're talented but you're going to play my game. <laughs> and I've seen it. Like, you know, in the, in the game, I've seen it in a movie, maybe it's a Hollywood thing, but hey, but no, no, it's, it's uh, you know, and this coach, watch this guy being a prima donna. Like, because he said, no, you make sure when you do this, you pass the ball, and the guy just went from one end to the other and scored. And he was like, and the girl said, uh-uh, sit on the bench. <laughs> I think Yes, watch it. I think we are we as, as Christians yes we operate by the grace of God, we operate in the Spirit of God. But the grace of God is manifested in our lives because Jesus humbled himself. So my conclusion is for that grace to be manifested continually in our lives, that we in turn need to humble ourselves. As I was preparing, you know, what it means to be effective in ministry, individual as a group, the more I, I speak into this, I feel like God is preparing our church for something. I mean, you can see, you can feel. There's a, there's this definite uh, move of the Holy Spirit last four weeks, I think. Something amazing has happened. And I believe God wants to us to have this spirit that will impact us in, in, in the workplace, it will impact us not just here, but in your marriage, in your relationship, with friends, boyfriends, girlfriends. I really believe God wants to, God wants to uh, do something through us. 
You know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And when salt loses its flavor, it's useless. There is a flavor about the Christians, about the disciples of Jesus, that wherever they go, they will affect the people around them. There's a flavor about Christians. It's like when you, when you eat something, you can't see the salt in it, but you can taste its presence or its absence, you know. You just know, you feel that something's missing. And I believe that something about genuine disciples of Jesus that spoke, uh, that, that, that walk in the spirit of humility, there's something about them in the midst of community, whether, whether it's marriage or, or workplace, anywhere. Their presence can be felt, it should be felt, because they are the salt of the earth. And funny enough, Jesus made that statement after his teaching on the Beatitudes, which is a picture of what Christians are supposed to be. As a matter of fact, we great over the next few weeks. We actually go through the whole thing of the Beatitudes, one point at a time. As a matter of fact, I'd like to do that. So. How to become the salt of the earth? What does it look like? I'd like to ask my, my wife. I'd like her to just flow with the Holy Spirit. Let's just die. Let's just worship. Let's just keep it simple. Holy. Oh, yeah. 